everybody. Welcome to another terrific episode of Album versus Album. I'm your co-host, Kale Judy, and with me as always is the Colonel Mustard to my Mr. Green, Lucas Lawrence. That's great. That's good. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to, as Kale said, another terrific episode. Colonel Mustard. Um <laughs> It just it just triggered me right away to think about how my dad told me this story once that when he was a kid, he would call mustard mouse turds, and his dad, who was like a very, uh, you know, down to business preacher man, he didn't like that. So if my dad ever made the mouse turd joke at dinner time, he'd get kicked out of the table, and that's for, uh, off kicked out of dinner. Uh, that for some reason I don't know why that was my first thought for, for saying turd. Because you said mustard. Yeah, mouse turd. Turd was a foul word. Yeah, any reference to like bodily bowel movements. Yeah, turd. Cra- I remember crap was one I even struggled with in my own life. Like, am I allowed to say this word? And then I heard a youth pastor say it's crap. And I was like, I can say it. It's okay. For the holy man has said it. The Holy Ghost has deemed crap to be just fine. Uh, Kale, how you doing, man? I have not seen you in a fortnight. No, I've seen you. Yeah, I think a fortnight is like four weeks. I thought it was two weeks, but you know what? It probably is four weeks. Four score. Maybe I'm thinking of the Gettysburg Address. Four score and seven years ago. I've always, I've always been a little unclear how much time that was exactly. Yeah, I gotta be honest. I don't even know what that means. Four score. <laughs> uh, it's I think quite a bit longer. But yes, it's been a maybe a but a fortnight. Yes, I think it has been a fortnight and change since we last saw each other. I have been good. Thank you for asking. The last few weeks have been, you know, just kind of surviving. I voted in the Canadian and American elections. Well, the Canadian one would have been just just local, provincial. The provincial election, yes. That's a lot of voting for one man. There's a lot of voting. Yeah, a lot of of, um, talk everywhere I go about... The upcoming U.S. election. Oh, People just cannot not talk about it's it. It's nauseating, man. It's it's too much. When well, this comes out, I, so what's crazy right now is we're recording this on October 29th, and by the time this one com- of the spookiest days of the year. <laughs> it's, October 29th is a spooky day. Well, because it's so close to the spookiest day of the year. <laughs> just by virtue. I don't know if maybe there was like an old, like you know, like pagan ritual that happened on the 29th. Two days before St. Hallow's Eve. <laughs> They're just sacrificing goats or something. Yeah. So, uh, yes. So when this actually comes out and hits the ears of our listeners, we the U.S. will either be mired in deep contention about who won or there will be a, a civil war that started. I'm pretty sure they're going to be mired in contention of who won. Yeah. That just, uh, that's the feeling I have. And that's my prediction on record now. Uh, how are you doing, Lucas? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it's always so funny because I know you're going to ask me this question and, and then I stare into your baby blues and I just, <laughs> I'm like, how am I? Who, who am I? <laughs> no, I'm good, man. My son, I'm going to try and get it for this recording. So hopefully after I tell you this, um, 
he loves the song on this album called The Steps, and he sings the chorus all the time to me. So I want to try and get a recording of him singing it, and I will put it, like, right after this right now, hopefully. I've tried a few times, but he won't do it whenever he knows I'm recording. So i got to trick him into doing it, and then we can put it in here. Maybe you put it on the phone. You just have your phone recorded No, that's what I've been pocket. trying to do, but if he sees me holding the phone up, he's like, gives me the side eye. Um, and then maybe we can even tweet it at Hiam that he can promote our podcast episode. That'd be great if you could do that, That'd ladies. be amazing. Casper, sing the song, okay? Then Haim likes it, listens to the podcast, becomes our friends. Yeah, be our friends. Before we move on, I just want to read a quote, because we are talking today about an album by the band Haim? Haim? It's called Women in Music Part 3. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I don't know if you know this, but last episode, uh, our guest, our wonderful guest, Mac, made a joke about Lilith Fair. But Lilith Fair every year did actually put out, a, or at least a few times, I think maybe twice, put out a compilation called Women in Music. Oh, really? I'm pretty sure there's a volume one and volume two. I'm not, don't, don't like call me on this because I didn't do my research, but I'm pretty sure that's what this album is a reference to. Mm. But the quote I want to list, I want to read is from the Paper Mag review, uh, interview. It's just talking about the name of the album. I don't remember. Oh, it's Alana talking. I mean, we named our record Women in Music Part 3 because it made us fucking laugh, says Alana. Like, it's just hilarious that that's even a thing. It's, you know, the eye roll. It's just a very big eye roll. And I think that's a great quote to really get into this record that I feel takes itself very seriously, but also laughs very hard at itself. Well, that is just great. I, I definitely agree with that. specifically with the song which I'm sure we will talk about again later track 11 man from the magazine which in doing some research for this episode highlighted for me reminded me that for three women all in a band ostensibly a rock and roll band uh, with heavy pop leanings the amount of questions they can ask and the way they are objectified in ways that like men are not I have to be reminded of, but man, it just sucks. Like some of the yeah questions they've gotten and the ways they've been treated just because they're women. It's like, like that's part of that. I think that's part of the irony, right? Is it's like women in music, like what a novel concept. Is yeah. what that, that title kind of says. But also me. then it kind of also is almost a defiance as a, as an album name. It's mm-hmm. like, I think it's a really great album name. Like the first time I saw the album cover and the name, I was like, oh, damn. Like, it felt like a statement. Now, obviously, it can be a statement and be a joke at the same time, but... There is a 69 behind them on the album. Do you know where they are on that album cover? I believe they're, they're Jewish, so I believe they're in a Jewish... Delhi or 
butcher of some kind? Yes, it's a deli. And it's also the, if you watch the music video to the song, Man from the Magazine. Full circle. Uh, it's filmed in this uh, deli. Oh, no way. And I might be wrong. I got to find my note here. But I'm pretty sure it's where they played their very first show ever. It's where they played their first gig. I'm pretty sure. No way. I have it written down somewhere, what it's called. But anyway, it doesn't matter. So, Lucas, maybe you could tell me... Cantor's Deli. Cantor's Deli, it's called. Cantor's Deli in L.A.? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I mean, they uh, they rep L.A. hard. It's cool. They do. Well, the opening track is called Los Angeles. Los Angeles. <laughs> so I was going to ask you, now that we've done our quick catch-up, what's your kind of background with Haim? How do you say the name? What is your, uh, yes, how do you pronounce the name of this band? I think it's Heim, like Lheim. Mm-hmm. Sounds German. Yeah, it a little does. bit in the pronunciation. But you're right; it is in doing uh, again a little research for this light research, listeners. It is Heim. And the funny thing is, for about ooh, four years, I've been calling them Heim. So same. Oh, I've also well, been calling them Heim. That makes me feel better. I so. With knowing who they are, I'd say mostly I knew them by name. Uh, when this album came out, a lot of people told me, you should listen to this record. And so I did. You know, the day it came out, I, I, I loved it. But then I never really thought about it again until we decided we were going to do this. And, and what, but, what made you decide to pick this record out of curiosity? Well, because that day, Jordan, Jordan Clausen, friend of the pod, uh, debated very strongly for Amnesiac on our Radiohead episode. He um, he made a reference. He, he, I was talking to him and he said something about how it's a great record. And I was like, oh yeah, I forgot that record's awesome. I want to listen to it again. I remember that. He said that when he comes home, sometimes he just needs to put on Heim and listen to this record all the way through. And that stuck with me too because it was like a need or an itch he needed to scratch specifically with his record. I remember when Days Are Gone came out because I remember I had a few friends who were like into it, but I never got into that record. And then Something to Tell You was a record I listened to probably four or five times and liked. But I think what I always, what always kind of turned me off of them, what always kind of made me not come back was that they had this sort of literalness that I didn't always like. And then also just that kind of 80s pop. It's not heavy, but it's just enough that it kind of just turned me off. Now, listening to this record, going back, I enjoy those records more. I feel like there's a lot of... I've, I've, I've learned a lot about them and then also just contextually understanding their music a little bit better. Yeah, I, I mean, if I'm being totally honest, this is my first real deep dive in this record. I just... This record floored me. I loved it. What about you? Did you Were you a fan before this or... That's a good question, Lucas. And how did you... You said Haim? Haim? Originally, though. I said Haim. Oh, I said Haim. I was Haim first since I heard of them. I remember going to, I think, a couple shows at the kind of Stanley Park outdoor concert facility that I'm blanking on the name of. Yeah, something bowl. Oh, the Malcolm Bowl. Malcolm Bowl, yeah. I remember Haim played the Malcolm Bowl years ago when they were touring their first record, and a bunch of people were into it, talking about it, and talking about how there were these three sisters doing this music. And I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. And I remember listening to a few songs and thinking it was good, but not really connecting with it. And then the second record came out, 
and the first single, Want You Back. Oh, yeah, that sounds great. And that music video made me a fan. It was like a bit more of a slow burn. I really have a strong affinity for like Southern California. It's where my dad grew up. He grew up in um, Palo Alto and later on in Pasadena. My dad grew up in Santa Cruz. Oh, no way. Have we ever talked about this? No, I don't think so. Maybe they knew each other. (laughs) It's possible. Ask him if he knows Don. Do you think Brig and Don had a podcast back in the day? Yeah. (laughs) His dad's name is Brig. Brig, yeah, it's my dad's name. What's his full name? His full name is James Briggs Judy Jr. No, it's uh, he goes by Brig, but technically it's Briggs, and he also goes by his middle name, which is yeah, what I do. Which is too. what you do as well, because yeah. your middle, na- your first name is my middle name. That's right, James. Strong name, good name. Sorry, go on. Uh, <laughs> Southern California. So, uh, born and raised. <laughs> So, where, where, what's the lingo? Anyway, um, thinking of Fresh Prince. So for me, it's West Philadelphia. West Philadelphia. <laughs> That's right. So th- what really made me a fan of Heim was when I saw the video for "Want You Back." The music video comes on. It's the three sisters. It opens with Danielle wearing this like cool leather jacket. And then Esty and Alana come in a little later on, and they're just walking down like Ventura in LA. It kind of looks like Palm Springs to me when I look at it because it's just like everything's very spread out. But it's like early morning, and it's these very muted kind of little movements that they're doing. But man, I was just like impressed with like the song. It was like this kind of long four and a half minute kind of slow burn song that slowly builds, and uh, it was poppy. But it was unique, a little bit 80s. And the sisters were all just very like in sync and clearly like connecting. And it was just like fun and catchy. And I I really liked it. I, I remember being very, very impressed after watching that video and hearing that song. It was the first time I really like properly listened to them. And then I went and ended up following all the other singles that came out for that record. And a couple more caught my attention. Didn't really spend a lot of time with that record, but I really liked Want You Back and uh, something, to, something to Tell You and a couple other songs. But um, that was one where after that I was like, these girls are legit. Way more legit than I thought they were, especially as we've gotten into like, you know, reading about them and, and, and a couple of th- the things you've shown me. I mean, if you have not watched their performance in the parking lot at, on Jimmy Kimmel, it's awesome. It's crazy. It's crazy, and it's like they're they're not only super talented and like as good live as they are on record, but they also are like have a lot of fun. I mean, you imagine it must be hard being in a band with two siblings. It doesn't seem like it though. But they make it seem so fun. A shining example of like sibling connectedness. Although you said kind of before we started recording that they are also not too close, but you sort of insinuated that like they have a hard time connecting with people outside of their immediate circle, right? Well, that was in a few interviews I've read a few different quotes of them saying something along the lines of like they don't really have many friends outside of music and or like one I read was basically we don't have any friends. We just hang out with each other. So, you know, maybe they just uh, they're just that tight knit. Have you seen the Nardwar interview they did? No. That sounds like it would be great. They did a Nardwar interview seven years ago at South by Southwest where 
they all went and uh, Alana went and tried to find Nardwar glasses for them. And they wore like um, kind of like poor boy newscaps and then hot glued um, like poofy balls on top so they could like imitate Nardwar's look. And they all showed up in the interview dressed like Nardwar. Just oh, he must have loved that. Oh, he loved it. And they were such a fan of him. And he was like super into to them as well and doing a deep dive on their love for Elvis and Tom Petty. And that was great. I found that love. You could just see they were all like the way they vibed off each other and like kind of let each other talk. Danielle definitely was like the one talking the least. Like Alana and Esty were, were definitely more outspoken. But uh, it's it's a great interview. I definitely recommend checking that out. Hometown hero, Nardwar. You got a band with three sisters. And these three sisters, it's not like one is the star and the other two are in the shadows. This is like really three girls who are comfortable sharing the spotlight. Do you think the fact that they all have defined roles within Heim, the band, is part of why they've been able to be so successful? Like it's... Not like Esty and Danielle are fighting for who's the... Like, clearly Danielle is the, the ringleader or the, the front person of yeah. the band. But they're also siblings, so they've probably... Probably, like, when you start a band and people are fighting for that control, like what we were talking about at Wilco with with uh, Jeff Tweedy and um, the other guy, I can't remember. <laughs> the guy that was in Sunvolt. Oh, yes. yeah. He... Um, you know, they, they're clashing and they, they don't know how to communicate, but these girls probably are good at communicating. I mean, one, they're women, so they're already better at communicating than men. But two, like, they've been, they know each other better than anyone else. So I feel like those roles are, are defined, but also fluid in this situation. I mean, again, like you already said it, it always seems like it's fun. Like you look at any, their Twitter, whatever, it's always like. But that's what I'm asking. Like, do you think part of the reason it's fun is that, they don't have to jostle for who's mm. in charge. Yes, I think you are definitely on it there. In the band, I think they know their roles. Yes, I think you're right there. When you were in a band, did you find that was helpful when it came to making like a final decision about like say some people were leaning one way, maybe another member's leaning another way? Did you find as like the the ringleader? Like for well, our, like we sort of did, but honestly, we we were pretty democratic. Not to, I'm not saying you're not democratic, but like ultimately the final heaviest vote would fall to you, no? Yes, but it was like, I think we were pretty rare in that it was like, we basically were like, if we don't all agree, like, for example, if you wrote a song, if everyone liked it, great. If two people, like if, if three people liked it and one person didn't, then the song was never going to go for it as is. Really? We were like, everyone has to agree. That was our number one rule. And it, it was great. It was great. But, you know, I have no clue what's going on in this little trinity of For sure. Women. I, I guess I just like the idea of their, of say Danielle, even though she's seemingly kind of the quieter one, is someone who's like, I'm bringing a song to the table. This is my vision for it. And then I want you to fill in the parts that you do well, but... Or maybe it's a lot looser than that. I, I don't know. But it just seems like if you have more clearly defined roles, then you know where you are able to contribute and you get a dynamic that's maybe more, um, you can replicate more. Because if one sister yeah. started to get more, you know, like, uh, 
like, I don't know, like I have my ideas aren't need to be heard more or whatever. It's like you can kind of check that a bit because you already know the role you're playing, even though your sisters and your equals, but then in the band there are different roles you're playing. Like there's a man like in a business, like you have a team lead, you have a manager, you have someone who's like doing the legwork. And sometimes you need yeah. to have that hierarchy. Completely. And and they probably do. I, the big thing here, I think, like the big takeaway for me, they've they've just done the work. And it's it's a real testament to like humility and like putting down sibling rivalry and all that. It's just it's it cannot be easy. You know the saying about like uh, every overnight success, like you've heard mm-hmm. the you heard the overnight you saw was like night one thousand of the nights they've been working or whatever. Yeah. That's that's kind of how I feel about this this album. This album flows. It feels effortless. It feels like fun, simple, quirky. I think that's all a testament to like them being able to work together for sh- for sure. But I do wonder. I got. I I would love to just watch a video of them like writing a song. It would be fascinating. So Lucas, who are these three sisters? Let's break down who's in this band uh, before we really dig into Women in Music Part Three. Okay, so we start with Danielle who plays guitar and drums and is the lead vocalist ring leader. Uh, she is known to be a great guitar player. She is a great guitar player. Toured with Jenny Lewis, Julian Casablancas, to name a few. Has I might be wrong, but I think she even might have played in a band for CeeLo Green. I'm not sure. I'm really? I'm pretty sure that's true. Because there are a bunch of stories, like if you look up interviews with the sisters, like where they grew up in L.A., they grew up around a lot of like fairly famous musicians, but people that weren't famous, but it would be like the sax player for Tom Petty or like the guitar player for, I don't know, like Fleetwood Mac, but not like a, not one of the main Fleetwood Mac people, but like a player in the band. You know what I mean? Like cool. So they just had all these people around who were older all the time who were doing tunes. Yeah, their parents were musicians, and, and I think that always has a good effect on you. And, and they were encouraged by their parents to listen to, like, the classic rock and the, the you know, the soul music that, that their parents loved. And I think that's always so good for a kid to not just listen to, like, the, the pop of their own generation. Totally. And it clearly has worked out for them in their songwriting <laughs> abilities. I mean, you can't argue with uh, that kind of success. Okay, so there's two more sisters. So uh, Bo- so before we move on from Danielle, mm-hmm. quick quick thing I wanted to add, um, and something I think we'll talk about later in the record, a heavier element that comes into Women in Music Part 3 is the all the, the kind of the personal challenges all three sisters brought into this record. Mm-hmm. So I, I noted down that for uh, Danielle... Her longtime boyfriend is um, Ariel Reichshad. Yeah, he's suffering from cancer. So he he has testicular cancer, which he was diagnosed with, um, I think, four years ago. And that was something that hit her particularly hard. And she has a she's quoted as saying, "I definitely had a bout of post tour depression when Ariel got sick." It all kind of just like hit. It hit me really hard, and that kind of triggered, a, I think, a pretty serious bout with depression she's had that um, she writes about uh, quite openly on the new record. Yeah. So that was just one I wanted to call out. Not that we need to call out like all the personal tragedy 
um, per se at this stage, but I thought that was one important aspect to kind of call out for the discussion of this record is that is that thing she was dealing with. For um, So for the next sister, should we talk about Esty next? Is that where you're going? Sure. Bass player, uh, guitar player, and vocals. Also has a personal challenge she's been struggling with. She has type 1 diabetes. Yeah, that sucks. Which sucks. And uh, apparently that was a condition that she's been managing since she was a kid. And she almost fainted during Glastonbury in 2013 due to it, which uh, which is brutal. And it's great that she's got such supportive sisters around her. But that, that's got to suck, like having to deal with that when you're touring. and Yeah, especially when you're touring the world. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that would suck. So for Esty, uh, she also is the oldest sister, which I thought was interesting. Do you think that's challenging forever, being the oldest sister and not having the quote-unquote lead role in the band? I suppose it depends on your personality type. <laughs> but, you know, one thing I want to just throw in there for her is the bass lines are so, so tasty and luscious on this record. I'm going to be saying the word luscious a lot and tasty a lot because... This has a lot of just Luscious. sultry, choppy bass and guitar that just, it just, it's such a pleasure to listen to. It has so much depth to it. I just, I can't even say enough about it, but we'll get into it later. But, uh, but props to Esty on her. Uh, on Great. Her Fantastic bass plan. Slap it a bass. Slap it a bass. Um, the last sister, um, not the least, but just the third in our mention is. Alana Heim, who is also a guitar player, does keyboards and vocals as well. And I believe that she is the one who is going to be in the new P.T. Anderson film. Alana, the youngest. I think. I'm pretty sure. That is... Here's the problem. Everything I read about them or saw about them or whatever, I get confused at who's who. But as we've talked earlier, uh, P.T. Anderson, great director, has made some great films. Some strange ones, too. That's for our other pa- podcast, Movie versus Movie, though. <laughs> uh, he's done a bunch of their videos, four or five. Yeah. And they're all very interesting and creative and all that. But, uh, you know, that's not what I'm talking about. My point is he's making a movie and he's cast Alana or SD. Alana. Alana would make the most sense because what I know of the movie is... It's set in Southern California in the 70s, I believe around when he would be in high school. So out of those three sisters, I feel like Alana looks the most like she could be a high school I'm student. I'm pretty sure it's Alana, so that's cool. She's also an actress. Got a five-year degree at UCLA on ethnomusicology in two years. What? Yeah, she did it in two years. So she's, like, they're all badass. It's so cool. What is ethnomusicology? I don't know. (laughs) Uh, But that is badass. Something I think about, like, music history and, like, cultural music history. That probably doesn't zeroed in at all for you. I was just like, in two years when it's a five-year program, I'm the kind of guy who's like, I did it in five and a half. (laughs) And uh, 
You'd be celebrated for it because you're a white male. <laughs> yeah, I would. strange uh, performance of 3am have you watched that it's um seth myers on the late night with seth myers are they in costumes in that one yeah they're like all dressed up as like brides and robert pattison's in it for some reason oh man and they're like it's kind of like a spooky vibe they're just very talented people like they 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 perform well they're obviously great writers and players but there's just they have, they have like an x factor too where it's like they're letting you in on the joke a little bit. And I mm-hmm. think that's that's worth its weight in gold for being a band and engaging with people. And having a, like, that takes a real sense of self-awareness to, like, let people in on the joke and, like, to, you know, not be so up your own ass that you can't see what you are and what it is you're doing. And that is one thing about this record I think that's really strong is that it really feels like they've zeroed into like what it is to be in Heim and the type of music they want to make. And then having done that for two records very well, and this one like pushing that in a way that's really interesting. Lucas, where do you feel like this sits? Well, I do want to say a disclaimer. I I know that we've both kind of said like, this is the only album we've really dove into, dived into. English, Do- in- English isn't my strong suit. This is the first album that we've really like done a deep dive on, and really, I- I've never listened to one of the records as much as this. I'm, I will from now on. I promise everyone because I, I love this record. But you know, I think it's their best record from my first impressions. But also, like Pitchfork thought that. I know we always mention Pitchfork, but. Pitchfork gave 8.6. That's a very high Pitchfork mark. Very, that's very high. Uh, the uh, Telegraph, the... Uh, Telegraph uh, Review? Yeah. Whatever it's called. Yep. They gave it a 5 out of 5. Also called it their best record. And listen, The Independent, also a 5 out of 5, but they called it a fearless, effervescent album. 5 out of 5 is... That is perfect, basically. That's 10 out of 10. That's a 10 out of 10. That's 100%. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's their best record? Do you agree? Are you? I would agree. I would agree from a, a personal standpoint and having lightly listened to the first record, having listened to the second record a fair bit more, I would say it just feels like they have just kind of continued to hone what it is they're doing in their music. And the record really feels both like it celebrates what they've done so well for their first records, like Want You Back, I think is just an amazing pop song. And then, uh, you know, having a song like Don't Wanna could have been on any of their other records. So, like, they're still giving you your the Don't Wanna song. Uh, the, the, def- the dressing up of those, like, kind of, quote-unquote, pop single songs, mm-hmm. though, is different on this one, for sure. It, it is different. But they're, but they're also, like... There are a few songs that could have been on either record based on I, I the, totally agree. the vibe of what they're doing, but I, I that's why I like that they're not like they're not trying to do like a prog record or something. You know what I mean? Like they're yeah. taking what they've done before, honing it, still continuing to make it into something interesting, but then also pushing the envelope on some songs too. Like now I'm in it is like a really cool song that takes some um, interesting 
diversions. And now I'm in it. Sounds like Savage Garden, Chicky Cherry Cola. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? What's that song called? I want you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I could say that. For a second, I thought you were mentioning Eagle Eye Cherry. Nope. My cousin was really into that song. Come to break on The way she does those vocals just reminded me a lot of Savage Garden. There's a few tracks, we'll get into it later, but there's a few songs where I'm like, oh, this is their version of that song, you know? And and in the best way, like, they're not ripping songs off. They're just, it's just like a tribute to a song they loved. Um, there's a long, yeah, those, those the fire. <laughs> Girl, you know I got to go. Uh, there's Those three bonus tracks are very interesting because when technically, I mean, like, the song Hallelujah is... A beautiful song. And they wrote that with our boy Tobias. Oh, yeah. Tobias just a junior. Yeah, that's, that's cool. Um, you were saying they're friends. Uh, that one, and then I think also like uh, Summer Girl, it's like their most listened to song on Spotify. It's a great song. It, and really, it's, it's kind of the most accessible song out of the whole album, I'd argue. And it's huh. a bonus track. It's weird. So what's weird, and like, I, I think they're fucking with us a little bit, because... Summer Girl, Now I'm In It, I don't know about Hallelujah, but both of those were released as like the first singles. Like there were videos yeah. for both of those. Yeah. And I remember hearing Summer Girl a ton before this record came out. Yeah. And then it's the, the bonus track? It's well, like, that was actually what? funny. The first time I listened to it, I was like, oh, weird. I thought that song, Summer Girl, the one with that like saxophone, dun -dun 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 -dun, which is Rostam playing sax. Oh, nice. I think he plays all the sax. He Shout heard. out Rostam. Yeah. Hi, Rostam. I hope you're listening. <laughs> It'd be weird if you were. What up? Uh, I kept waiting for that song the first time I listened to it. And I was like, weird. I thought that was this record. And then I was like, well, I guess I'm wrong. And then, yeah, it's the bonus track. I, yeah, I think it doesn't, it just doesn't really matter now how you put albums out. I mean, they put out a 17 song record. You know? Sometimes you put out a 17 song record. Excuse me, 16 song record. One of the things that I found so interesting about consuming new albums now is that when we were youths and you'd walk into the record store and you'd say, oh, this is the album I want to buy. It's The Killer's Hot Fuss. And you open up the plastic, the track listing is there, and you mm -hmm. know it's track 1 to 11. And this is the first song and the last one. And now there's a kind of a open borders concept to albums where it's like the start of los angeles ending with summer girl like it takes you on a real journey if you count the, the bonus tracks i think we have to i think the bone i i the more because i listen the, to this the original version ends up with fucked up but true which is a great album closer so you think we should consider fucked up but true instead? no but when you do the whole record summer girl ends Almost the way that Los Angeles starts, yeah, which is really cool. So it's almost like this full circle and this like idea of completion, kind of ending where you, ending where you started, but everything's there's been a journey and you've grown. You mm -hmm. know that idea is there mm -hmm. loosely, but I think both are like fucked up but true is kind of this weird way to end it, kind of unsettling, and then it, it, there's two ways to end it. I kind of like it. It's like, it gives you a choice. 
great. I think we agree that we both think this is their best record. And I think they agree with us. I agree. We all agree. There's a lot of agreeing going on. So next we're going to move into... Tasty Treat. My first Tasty Treat is the album's opener, Los Angeles, a funny, delightful song. Uh, really, I feel like the whole concept of the song could really it could be about any city in the in the sentiment. But you know, people who live in Los Angeles, they just love that city. The Tasty Treat is that sax solo performed by Rustin. Mm. What a great sax solo! It's like perfect. And the weird thing about that song is there's kind of a reggae vibe to it, which rarely works when white people do it. But for some reason, it works a couple times on this record. Mm-hmm. And that is my first Tasty Treat. <laughs> okay, first Tasty Treat for me is the drumming on the opening of I've Been Down. Knowing that Danielle is the lead vocalist, but also the drummer, and seeing her perform live, hearing those drums come in, they just come in hard, they come in clean. It just really, I just think it opens up the song in a very cool way. And it's a little more stripped back, that song. I feel like it feels a little less produced in some ways. It was the final song recorded on the album. Oh, it was? Why I know that is they did a listening party where they answered live Twitter questions. And one of the ones was, what was the hardest drum track to play? And and there was this one, apparently. They kept approaching these drums over and over differently. And finally settling on these, which are... It's definitely a tasty treat. They're awesome. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was the final track they recorded which is just interesting that you somehow caught on to that kale the drums just stuck out to me like they the way they record them they're a little like they feel like they sit back in the mix a little bit but they're also like they're the first thing you hear and yeah they're really cool again another throw uh, a shout out to you sd on the bass on that right i mm-hmm. just think the bass line is just beautiful on this one uh but very good tasty treat i I also have one from this song. Mm-hmm. I'm going to throw right back at you. And this one's a bit of a tasty treat. And I don't know, maybe this will be something new we do. It's like a obvious influence or like, we got to think of a name for it. Like Lady and the Tramp chasing the same string of spaghetti? So this is a tasty treat and a reference to something that, if you're a Beatles fan, it's a bit of a deep cut. But the song, Everybody's Got Something to Hide Except for Me and My Monkey. There's a part in the song, which I will put in the edit. Kind of loses time with the beat, and they do that exact thing here. And whether or not it was supposed to be a call-out to John Lennon's song, Everybody's Got Something to Hide Except for Me and My Monkey, it's a great part of the song. So that's, that's my second tasty treat. Everybody's got something to hide but me and my monkey. Yeah. It reminds me, that reminds me of a Dave Chappelle sketch. Yeah. The different, uh, although maybe not. Maybe John Lennon's talking about the same thing. Yeah. We won't, I won't get into you know the Dave Chappelle sketch. You know how long it took me to train him to not peel it? <laughs> oh my God. Right? He says that, though, right? Oh, yeah. Um, I, okay. What's your next tasty treat, Cal? My next tasty treat is. Uh, the guitar on Hallelujah. 
And that is because I, again, wanted to call out. Um, that's our boy, Tobias Jessa Jr., playing the guitar in Hallelujah. Oh, he plays guitar in that. I don't know that 100%, but it sounds exactly like uh, one of the songs he has off his solo record, Goon. And knowing his guitar playing so well, and the t- even the tone of his guitar, having listened to that record so much, I can tell I can tell that he is playing guitar on Hallelujah. And uh, he's not the only instrument on it, but um, he also has a songwriting credit at that. Is that song called The Weight? Is that what song the is? Weight, yes. Yeah. So his song, he um, is playing guitar in the same style and flourish as The Weight. It's like the on- only song on his record that's all guitar. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's very distinctive. So that uh, that was a very tasty treat. So not to uh, take away from the everything the girls bring on that is amazing, and very cool that that song is also a celebration of their the ways they support each other and how lucky they feel to all be connected to each other. Yeah. So I think that's a really cool sound. Again, on the Twitter listening party, they they uh, they talked about playing it for their parents and that they all you know, loved it and cried together when they first heard the song. Oh, it's a great song. A great song. It really like feels weird that's technically a bonus track. It's like this is one of the best songs on the album. Old fears have to ease them in my mind. New tears say that they will giant Would uh do you think the parents felt a little weird hearing this their daughters just think about how much they want to get off sexually? Or maybe she's not talking about that. Maybe she means get off work. I think she was talking about getting Maybe off. gasoline is about she just wants her boss to stop teasing her with the idea that she can go home early. I don't think the boss is laying their proverbial head between her legs. Yeah, I think you're probably right. <clears throat> if he is, then there's definitely some Me Too stuff going on with that power imbalance. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, did you have any more tasty treats from uh, oh, yeah. the album? Ladies? So, another one I have is the song Up From A Dream. Which is kind of mm. a fun gallop. Yes. And again, luscious guitar tones. Very luscious guitar tones. Uh, the thing that just kind of caught my attention every time is the post-chorus. I ca- The first time I heard it, I was like, man, that guitar sounds like an alarm clock. It's just like this really weird way of, pl- of making a guitar sound. And then at the end of the song, there's a, an alarm clock sound. Guitar tones. It's cool. Do you have any more? Just one more. I have, uh, I believe it, I think it's the bridge from I've Been Down, but I love the harmonies on I've Been Down. They, they kind of go into, uh, uh, I'm not exactly sure what you'd call it, but like there's a point where they're all harmonizing together um, in kind of the last third of the song, and it's just absolutely lovely. I think it's my favorite part of that song. And I've Been Down is not one of my favorite songs. You know, I think that particular section is just brilliant. And I have to say, if you were just to ask me what is the straight up catchiest song, I know it's, uh, I 
don't know. It's a little maybe basic to say, but I feel like don't wanna and or gasoline, like they're two big singles. It's like with that ooh yeah. Da, 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 oh, da, don't da, wanna is, is so catchy. It's so catchy. It's crazy how catchy that song is. But that is a, a wonderful pop song. It's unbelievable what they did with that song. It's like you thought you couldn't do pepperoni pizza any better, and then they made like a better pepperoni You're pizza. Like, this pepperoni pizza is blowing. Like, I'll never forget going to. Uh, it's gone now. It was called Dixie's. It was on Hastings in Vancouver, and a few people said, "Oh, you got to get their fried chicken." And my wife and I were like, "How good can fried chicken be?" And I remember we were eating it. We we're like, "This is so good. How is it this good? It doesn't make sense." But that's like, don't want to. It's like the fried chicken from the now defunct Dixie's. It's Dixie's fried chicken, 100%. Defunct. Um, a few more ones, a few more tasty treats I have. I don't have a lot, but um, I love the guitar sound in Man from the Magazine. Mm, mm-hmm. It's like a, a room mic or something, and it yeah. just it just gives you this idea that she's playing this song right, like 10 feet away from you or 5 feet away from you. It's really cool. I, I love it. It's it's cool because and when I've heard Man from the Magazine uh, reading the lyrics versus like when you hear the song, the lyrics are much more. They're very present, but they're they're very st- stylized in the way they're sung. You know, like there's like a lot of like kind of fury in them, but it's not like she's like shouting them at the neck. It's in a way that's a little more subdued, but so in your face as well. well that comes across in the video. That that kind of subdued anger. It's good. Well, I just also wanted to say there's a few other songs I want to. Just, just reference. If you ever heard the song "Never Going Back Again" by Fleetwood Mac, I get a real vibe on that of the song "Leaning on You." Another try, I definitely hear Underneath It All by No Doubt or like Tide is High by Blondie. Interesting. Interesting. Even the horns, there's even like a, in the Gwen Stefani one, do you really love me underneath it all? And then this one has those same horns. I'm like, they must be referencing that. And those are all my tasty treats, Kale. The tastiest of the tastiest treats. Very tasty treats indeed this, uh, yeah. this time around. Okay, it's time for a game. And this game is going to have a lot of preliminary rules, but once we get into it, there's basically no rules, okay? <laughs> okay. So this game is called Alien Stranger Man. And Alien Stranger Man has come down to Earth. They've been watching us for a while. And he has a list of names he's written down and he can only understand three words at a time alien stranger man. yeah alien stranger man can only understand three words at a time and you can't say the same word more than once all right and he wants you he hands you a list and here's the names on the list he wants you to describe these things to him but again he can only understand three words at a time and you can't repeat yourself okay taylor swift Blonde, angry, red. Okay. 
Okay. Madonna. Gap. Convertible. Mm, virgin. Be so confused. I didn't think you were going to go so ethereal with it. Okay. Uh, Beyonce. Oh, honey. Sister woman. Honey sister woman. (laughs) (laughs) Casey Musgraves. Throwback. Casey Musgraves. Texas. (laughs) Uh, Bluebird. Cowboy. Now, there's going to be more, but now... He's getting angry with you, and you need to speed up because he doesn't like wasting time. Okay. All right. Cheryl Crow. Black Guinness Rodeo. Dolly Parton. Old? White? Blonde? Can I say white? Ah. <laughs> no, I can't say blonde. Okay. <laughs> Gwen Stefani. God damn it. They're all <laughs> the same hair color. Uh, reggae, dancing, uh, swivel chair. Celine Dion. <laughs> Heart. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> Nicki Minaj. Twerk. <laughs> um, angry. Heim. Ooh. Uh, catchy Sisters Sunset. You played Alien Stranger, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's a really hard game. That is a challenging game. And the score is uh, you got 14 million points. Oh, thank you. Wow. 14 million. Really good. Yeah. First and worst. First and worst. First and worst is where Kale and I, in our humblest opinion, decide what is our number one first lyrics, favorites, and what are our, in our, again, very modest, humble opinions, the worst. I want to quantify this. Mm-hmm. It was very hard to find worse lyrics. I find that the level of lyricism on this record, it stays pretty consistent. Mm-hmm. My least favorite lyrics, mostly because of a reference she makes. Mm. I believe this is from I've Been Down. It's from the song I've Been Down. I'm waking up at night. TikTok, killing time. A little moonlight coming through the blinds. I don't know if she's referencing the social media app, social media app TikTok. Mm. But that's what it feels like. And for that reason, it was my worst lyric. Every time I heard it, I pictured someone waking up and then going on TikTok on their cell phone. And it just, I just can't, I hate it. There is something really annoying about direct social media references in songs, you know? Yeah, but maybe she's talking about TikTok like the clock. Oh, I mean, for sure. I mean, she's, she's old enough to know what TikTok is and young enough to know that it's hip. So I feel that. Just on the off chance that she's talking about the social media network. It just, it just, it rubbed me the wrong way. Rubbed you the wrong way. I get that. That's that's how I feel when I read literature or a short story almost every time when there's a reference to Facebook or Twitter or something. It really just bothers me. It takes me out of it. I don't like it. Wish they wouldn't do it. Britney Spears' first record, and there's a song on the record called Email to My Heart. Oof. And I just, even now, I sang it makes my mouth go dry it just it that's a horrible thing Ugh. email was still kind of like you know you emailed like a few people in your in your life maybe your aunt and uncle who are missionaries or something email to my heart email to my heart i'm gonna just look this up real quick to make sure i'm not losing my mind email my heart right there dude 
See that? Wow. Email my heart. Two on the nose. Like everyone's using email now. Let's, instead of, you know, send a letter to my heart, let's make it email my heart. And I remember just thinking like right away, blech. And that's why this TikTok reference has killed me. Interesting. Kale. So I, uh, so I cheated a little bit this, this uh, episode in that I picked the worst lyric that I thought was not the worst writing on their part, but I thought was just the worst thing I, I heard on the whole record. Ah. But it was intentional on their part. So that is the caveat I'm saying with mine. But my worst is from Man from the Magazine. Do you make the same faces in bed? Which I have to imagine is a reference to probably uh, Esteheim and maybe Danielle's like the intense faces they make when they're playing music, something to that effect. Like, do you make those same faces when you're getting down in uh, the bedtime? And I just thought that was such a, a horrible thing for any human being to ask another human being, especially like three women making music. Like, that's so degrading. And also, it just made me mad because to me, that was just the worst, but also that's a real thing they've been asked. So it's not the worst, traditionally how we talk about it, where it's like maybe not the best Lyric, but that one just got me where I was like, oh, man. Like, it is so effectively yeah. done. But, man, that one just bugged me so much. And that 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 lyric really stuck with me the first time I listened to the record. I was like, whoa, that's... Like, there has to be a true story behind this. Do you like, think rock and roll is still seen as a man's world in 2020? Um, For older people, probably, yeah. I mean, I think you and I know that girls can rock harder than guys. They can give us a run for our money in any genre that that's not a question it's just it's i think there's still the the old guard still is is around that lyric is great to me in that it, it really paints the picture but yeah mm-hmm. definitely it's definitely gives you that icky feeling so you hear you hear i'm covering with though where i'm not like it's a good it lyric. gives you the icky feeling but it gives me the icky feeling it does. like come on man you work for a magazine all right my first lyric this was mm-hmm. very hard i had like eight different lines but i think this one is my favorite it's from the song Fucked Up But True. And I think the reason it's my favorite is because I relate so hard to this line. Every time I heard it, I'd be like, me too. I spend my mornings overthinking all my old mistakes. But I would never judge your problems in the same way. I'm like, yeah, I think that's probably what, what I'll get etched on my gravestone. Oh, wow. On my tombstone. I just, I, I so feel that way. Do you tend to, th- do you reflect on past mistakes? Yeah, when you leave tonight, I'm going to reflect on all the dumb stuff I've said tonight. <laughs> don't do that. But okay, I just won't then. Good, thanks for the advice. <laughs> just don't do it. <laughs> just don't do it. <laughs> Listeners, you can't see me shaking my finger at Lucas, but don't you do It's it. a beautiful finger, though. Um, I burnt it the other day. I Oh, sorry, man. Uh, yeah, and I just, I, I really believe... That song, when she sings on, on Fucked Up But True, I really... That song makes sense to me, and, and the way she delivers it, I really hmm. feel like it's real. That's so I, I, I... That's my favorite line. That's really cool. That's my first <laughs> favorite lyric. <laughs> What's your first? Well, uh, I didn't realize I was doing this with the Sea Fox uh, <laughs> DJ, you know? My, uh, <laughs> my, first, my first lyric... It was a surprise for me. I was going through these songs and I thought about this, like I was trying to think of the songs that kept just um, coming up in my head and like 
ones that would just stick with me a lot. And I wouldn't say this is my favorite song. Really kept coming up for me as one that really um, stuck in my head. I thought the lyrics for this were really good because there's so little in the song. There's only two stanzas that have any like lyrics of this nature, and then the rest is just basically like do 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 do. But it's the opening of uh, Summer Girl. L.A. on my mind, I can't breathe. You're there when I close my eyes, so hard to reach. Your smiles turn into crying. It's the same release. And you always know, and you always know I'm your summer girl. Which I think now with the context of knowing Danielle's struggle with depression and how she both like loves and at times wants to like get out of LA, but how she keeps coming back to it and how that song caps kind of this whole record. I just thought that, but uh, I just thought those lyrics were great. But very effective in communicating yeah. what the song's trying to say. For sure. It's a relationship song, but it also kind of made it, it kind of feels like she's singing to the city the whole time. Mm-hmm. Which I think is cool. It is cool. To be like, yeah, I love you in the summer. That's how I feel about Vancouver to a T. This is my favorite city in the world in the summer. And then the rest of the year, I'm like, it's a good city, but boy, yeah. does it rain a lot. Yeah. So A Hero is the song that we feel best, in our own opinion, best encapsulates what the record is trying to say or that we feel is just overall the strongest track. And The Zero is a song that we feel like, while not being a bad song necessarily, we feel like isn't the best fit for um, what the album's trying to do. My Zero, and it's by a long shot, it was no competition, is 3 a.m., I know they were going for something different with kind of like a hip hop thing. It's kind of got like a Thundercat vibe to me, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. But I didn't come to this album for Thundercat. And also, to me, it sticks out. And it's in a weird place in the album for me, too. It's mm-hmm. too early to yeah, throw tr- me off. And right after Gasoline and right before Don't Wanna, two of potentially, arguably, the catchiest songs on the record. What better place to nestle in? Your ugliest moment, though, in between two of your most beautiful moments, right? Oh, man. Hide it in plain sight. So for me, that's that's why that's my zero. I don't want to be a, a boring here, but I I just I couldn't find another one that I liked. At least I have to agree no. with you. I think I think 3 a.m. is is the zero here. That uh, the song is has catchy moments. I mean, Danielle's voice sounds amazing in it. Yeah, the vocal delivery is great. I just it just for me it it's it doesn't. I like that they're trying like skits and, and being a goofy in some of the songs. I just felt like this, even the skits in this, it just pulled me out of the record and the flow of the record a bit. Yeah, that intro skit reminded me of like the 90s hip hop records. Mm-hmm. I just can't stop staring at it. You just know what you feel, baby. We have the same zero. That's so cute. Yeah, it's cute. All right, Kel, what's your hero? So I was up between two, and I was trying to go for, I was trying to challenge myself to not go with, like, the catchiest songs, because I was definitely drawn to Gasoline and Don't Wanna. But 
I really was drawn to how all three of the sisters brought their own shit into this uh, record. And I think my hero would have to be uh, Nell Minutes. I really love how it speaks to the battle that Danielle is having with depression. Like, there's a lot of honesty there. It's a very, it's the song I think that one of the songs that best encapsulates them both playing with their old sound and then really trying to push it somewhere new. I wouldn't say it's the catchiest song on the record, but I would say it's a hero song because of what it's trying to accomplish. A close runner-up was Man from the Magazine because it's just a straight-up badass song, and I love that they're calling out all the sexism and bullshit they've had to deal with, and it's so cool to hear them like not have to couch that in something cute or uh, just to be very clearly like, fuck you for these like questions that are sexist and, you know, asking us like, you know, do we make base face in bed? And um, even reading interviews with them where, you know, people still ask Essie about like, why does she make a base face? And, or they're like, Oh, it's just so great that you guys don't care what you look like when you're on stage. Like shit like that, where you just would never say that to a dude Mm -hmm. and they have to put up with, you know, demeaning stuff like that and then stuff that's even, at times I'm sure, more than that. But I just felt like that song, Man from the Magazine, was a real, like, bad track. But I think I got to go with Now a Minute for the lyrical content as well as, yeah, just how it's trying to push the envelope. I really got to give that props. I think for me, Man from the Magazine was the one I just kept wanting to. I'm like, this song is awesome. I love it. You know, I'm going to go like the opposite way of you. You sound very torn. I am torn because you did what I didn't think you were going to do. So here's Kay. I'm so with you. Man from the Magazine to me is kind of like a culmination of their all their baggage, but they it's the best way of dealing with it. So I had that on my list of like, is this my hero? And then I was like, no, like The Steps, what a catchy song, so fun. Like I kept doing, I know alone, it's got such a great chorus and all that stuff, but honestly, man... Every time I listened to this record, the song I, got, I was the happiest to hear every time was Gasoline. I just, I know it's like this kind of lead single technically, but I I just bought it every time. But I think Gasoline, it's got that 90s influence. Mm-hmm. It's got those luscious guitar licks, got cool lyrics, cool beat. And I think when it tri- when it switched for me was when I watched that video of them on Jimmy Kimmel. And mm-hmm. it's just like, man, this song has such... Uh, vibe and so groovy and they just got they got everything right on this song oh yeah there's nothing wrong with that song for for these reasons that are kind of just simple it's just for just the craft alone it's just perfect Mm -hmm. gasoline's my hero that's great. I think it's a great choice. I'm glad you went with that. I also love I'm in it, so it's not like you're wrong. But now that I've said that Savage Garden thing, don't you feel like it's going to ruin it a little bit? It does add a, it does add a taste to it. Is here, I just close my eyes. Do you have any final thoughts on this record? I do. I guess the one thing I would finish on is I brought a visual aid that will be of no good to anyone watching this, but for... Uh, a year when I was in university, I wrote for uh, a music magazine here in Vancouver called Discorder. 
And my one uh, artist that I wrote about was uh, an all-female punk band called Joyce Collingwood. And Great name. I remember when I I went and met with them, and I did this interview with them at a uh, a bar down in Gastown. And when I went to uh, sort of the writers' meeting for the magazine, my editor got very upset when I said that I had asked them, what's it like to be an all-female punk band in Vancouver? Because in my mind, that does stand out a bit because there were not that many all-female punk bands in Vancouver. But he really called me out for saying, you know, who cares if they're all-female? They're just five musicians in a band. Like, why bring gender into it? And at the time, I felt like... It was a fair question because it was a bit strange where it was mostly male. But then I realized when I talked to him about it, I was like, you know, what? he's right. It's like it doesn't matter whether they're all female or not. It's not like they're doing it's like, oh, you're really good for like five women or something like that. Like, I think that's the uh, the very problematic mindset people can get into, especially a lot of dudes can get into when we think like, oh, like. She's good, like for a chick or something like that, you know? Like we can be quick to to kind of write off someone's accomplishments. So I really appreciate that. And what's funny is this story ended up being the one uh, cover story that I wrote. And it's the it's very cool. It's still fun to open it up, see my name in the byline. And the first I mean, line it's pretty cool. It's fun. And the first line I wrote is Joyce Collingwood are a local five piece ready to melt your faces off with their blistering brand of hardcore. And uh that record they had was great. And that was a, a really valuable lesson I learned where it's important to not judge a band or artists by their gender. Good to acknowledge that they are that, but we shouldn't put a label on someone or what they're capable of doing because of that, which I know you're, I, I know you're well aware of. But, uh, but that was just that was one where I thought about some of the challenges Haynes talked about and how that really resonated with me when I did this, did that article. Yeah, I mean, probably one of the biggest challenges is that you still call them Haim. Did I just say Haim? Yeah. Oh, I was trying to say Haim. Um, no, that's so great. Like, you always think as a culture, as as especially as media, as, as you know, pop culture and albums and music, that we're past this point, but these women are just putting their best foot forward. Mm-hmm. And so this record to me is just like this culmination, like their career has been kind of this upward climb and it's such a payoff like this record is just so much work and so much talent have finally come and met at this pinnacle where it's like almost every song has a banger on this record and Mm -hmm. a banger in a different way in a unique sound and unique writing and it's like i honestly i i kind of was embarrassed the first like when this album clicked for me i was like how have i not listened this band before more so I'm just I'm really impressed at what they can do and I I I think with a band like this they seem to be prolific it's their third album and I think each album was about three years apart they were clearly born to do this and I just I'm just glad that they do it I I guess my closing statement is like keep making music make women music volume four let's hear it Mm -hmm. yeah we're here for it Hats off, ladies. Hats off, indeed. So, Kale. Yes, Lucas. What are you 
vibing. I got a book out of the library recently. And actually, you know what? I might just pull it back. I'm vibing the library, bro. I love the library. Wow. I went to the library on Monday and I got a book out of this fine artist who does these. Um, there's like this old naturalist painter named James Audubon who did these crazy um, paintings and illustrations of birds in like 1890 or like early 1900s. And there's this new more recent painter um, who's done his own paintings, but in kind of a similar style. But dude, I kid you not, the book is like three and a half feet tall by two feet. It's the biggest book I've, I've had on hand and you could murder someone with this book. <laughs> and I was able to take it out. I don't know how expensive it would be, but it's gotta be hundreds of dollars. And I was able to just take it out of the library and look at these ginormous paintings at home. I just can't believe it. It's what a, what a gift. Ugh. What a gift the library is. God bless the library. Um, My kids go to the library so much. I mean, less less this last year because of COVID, but so excited to go to it. And I remember feeling that way. And I don't know why I don't go there more often. As an adult. Yeah. I've lost the magic. Well, you've got... I've lost the magic of life. <laughs> You're just fine. Lucas, what are you vibing? You know, I, I went back and forth about if I should try and come across as cool, but I, I'm not going to. Uh, my wife and I just finished The Office, The American Office, for the first time. Nine seasons. It was a marathon. You finished all nine seasons? I mean, we didn't do it quickly. We, we started before COVID. I mean, we started last year. And we finished. And, you know, I, I didn't cry. I was very emotional. My wife cried in the last, like, three episodes. But, man, what a show. And to do two seasons without Michael Scott... I just, yeah, we, I loved it. It's one of the greatest shows. It might be the greatest show I've ever watched. Wow. It's just so, I mean, it's nine seasons. It's pretty hard to come, to, to combat. But, you know, it, it was just, it was a great experience. And I just, if you haven't done it, do it. It's. I mean, it is, at times, that show has made me laugh so hard. Can you name a favorite episode? It's just off the top of the dome. I love the episode where um, where Kevin... Uh, and Andy and Daryl started the band. And Kevin called it Kevin and the Zits. Oh, I love the one where Andy was trying to win the money and they do the uh, the trivia night. And they put all the weirdos together. It's like uh, Kevin, Aaron, and Reed? Kelly. Or what's his name? Is it not uh, Reed? Uh, Creed. Creed. And they end up being like the winning team of, of, of trivia night. That's a great episode. Gail, wow. I love you, dude. Love you too, buddy. That was uh, fun. Before we go, what's our next album so people can listen along? Well, Lucas, our next episode we have a special guest, uh, and we will be discussing two records. It's the first time we'll be doing a versus episode with two different artists. We will be discussing <sighs> Toots and the Maytels uh, going up against Pat Kelly. It's going to be a reggae battle to the death. Can't wait. It's going to be soulful and super fun. I love you, dude. Love you too, buddy. Bye. Bye. Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. Hey, Siri. Who plays Michael Scott 
get in the office. The answer I found is Steve Carell. Like, could we think of Steve? How could we not think of Steve Carell? I know. God. The most famous Steve of all time. Such a famous Steve. Wow. It's a piano song. Huh. Oof. That does not sound like Britney Spears' wow. Well. 